With all of the discussion about how advisors should interact with the C-suite, we thought we'd ask an actual CFO for his perspective. What do you really need to know? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of Shift Shapers is brought to you by Major League Mindset, dedicated to helping you play bigger. Do you watch those other advisors grab the large accounts and wonder, what do they know that I don't? Do you think about being the recognized authority on health plans and other benefits in your market, but just aren't sure how to get there? The good news is, those other advisors know a few secrets that we can help you learn to turn you into that advisor that everyone else points to as the one to beat. We've been there and done that, and we can help you get there too. Play bigger. Play Major League. We've spent a lot of time on the podcast listening to folks talk about how to get the attention of a C-level person, how you approach them, what that conversation should be like. And we thought, and I know this is a radical concept, let's actually talk to one of those folks and find out what it is from their perspective that attracts them to certain advisors and what repels them, frankly, from certain advisors and and how they get that way. And, And so we've asked Steve Watson, who's founder of Summit Path Group, to spend some time with us. And Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I've been following your podcast for a while. We appreciate that. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your background, because I think that plays into what we're going to talk about as we go forward. So my, my background is I've kind of delved into multiple worlds, but I've been in finance for over 20 years, licensed as a CPA. I'm currently a CFO of a healthcare company in Arizona. I've also delved into the Human resources area, I've been a CHRO for 10 years, licensed with HR Association. And lately, I've just been kind of diving into this broker world and learning more about it. So those three areas to me are the kind of the key three that have to come together to to maximize an employee benefits plan. So was it your CHRO hat, if you will, that, that caused you to start taking a closer look at that area of benefits? It was those two converging together. I always tell people that nobody wants to use a plan built by finance and nobody wants to pay for a plan built by HR. And having to be in both of those, you know, wear both of those hats, really that became apparent to me of how those two sides have to work together. And seeing the financial aspects of a health benefits plan and diving into it and peeling back the onion really sparked my interest in this area. So as you've delved into this and you've educated yourself, what are the things that surprised you the most? The, the thing that right out the gate was the misaligned incentives between the person that was coming to my agency and, and representing me. I get pitched all the time from brokers. They all come in and say that they, they represent me, that they're going to get the best plan. And I didn't realize that contractually, most of them, I'm not saying all of them, but most of them work for the insurance carrier, their contracts with insurance carrier. They set the commission rates and most of the time, they win when I lose. And so they, their premiums or their commissions will go up when my premiums go up. And that, that shocked me. The other thing that shocked me a lot was once I 
understood that world, how much other areas of compensation were wrapped around it that I wasn't aware of on the ancillary lines, on bonuses, on overrides. Yeah, it just really shocked me. One of the other things that I know we talked about a little bit uh, offline was the variability in the markets, just writ large and writ small. Did you find that surprising as somebody who'd never kind of peeked behind the, the curtain before? Yes. And that's really, you know, the first year, so I've been kind of doing this about two years. The first year was kind of these miscellaneous incentives. This year, I've started, I've had a lot of people come ask me to speak at their conferences and I, I get to kind of sit there for three days and hear brokers get up and talk and speak. And the, and the very variability within this industry is surprising because I just assume that everybody's doing the same thing. Most CFOs just don't know what they don't know. They just kind of judge the whole market off of the one broker that's sitting in their office that they've been working with for a while. And they don't realize that everybody's going in different, different areas. So you've kind of grown this into, I'll call it a mission. Maybe that's too grandiose a word for the moment. That's what I would say. I'm carrying the banner. Okay. Well then mission it is for employers to help other employers so that they don't kind of get caught flat footed. Do you find among your peer group at the C-suite that they're not generally really knowledgeable about their benefits, even though it's such a huge item on the balance sheet? And to what do you attribute that? I would say yeah, 95% of the CFOs that I talk to, when we have an open conversation just between us, that's one of the first things that we'll talk about of how little we know about this area. And when you're sitting there with a consultant in your room and they're talking about different plans that are going on, we don't admit that we don't know what's going on. We don't want to say that we don't know what's going on. So we just let it go. But there's a lot of just the basics that we don't understand that I spend a lot of time with my peer group talking about. And one of the things that sparked me on this journey was I, I read Dave Chase's book, The CEO's Guide, and he really talked about how some employers were lowering their healthcare costs while I was and most other employers had it going up. And it just kind of shocked me that I just assumed that everybody's costs were going up. And I didn't realize that there was other people that were doing it in a different way. And I honestly just didn't quite believe it. And so I spent the next year going out and calling other CFOs and just going to lunch with them and just talking about their plans. And there's no competitive advantage, you know, say I'm in a social work company and they're in a hotel group. Like, why don't we get together and share best practices? And I was able to learn a lot of things I didn't even think of. The one guy that I, I met with decided not even to use a broker advisor. He just went straight to the TPA and the carriers. And I just never even thought of that. I didn't even know that you could do that. And other ones would look at my plan and say, wow, I didn't realize that there's, you could kind of create your own plan, that you could create these self-insured plans or different things. And they just knew what they knew from their one broker. So th- those are the kind of best practices that, that come up more often than not is just these kind of revelatory things that nobody, I mean, you know, was Rumsfeld said you, the unknown unknowns, the things you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. I, I think a lot of brokers start out on the wrong foot. Like they're already jumping to solutions, to carving out pharmacy, to wellness plans and doing things. And they're missing the the first couple steps that I, I think that are very important is first, you have to make sure that that C-suite even understands how an insurance plan works. Like what are the, the levers within that plan that makes it go up? What makes it go down? What are the biggest drivers? And what are different types of plans that are out there and how they work? Once you have that kind of base knowledge, to me, the next step is then you got to make sure you have the right partner that can help you build the plan that you want to you want to build. Make sure it's on the right you know ca- chassis 
you know, that you're able to reap the benefits of some of these other types of plans. So if I'm on a fully insured plan and I'm pushing my employees not to go to the emergency room, am I really going to see my premiums go down the next year? And I would kind of challenge whether or not that would happen or not because you're part of this big group. But if I'm able to set up what I call an employer-based plan or self-insured plan, and then I put all these other things on there, then it can make a big, big difference. But if, if you're an advisor and you're sitting across from a C-suite person, and whether it's a CFO or CEO or even a CHRO, how do you broach that subject of do you know how a plan works without sounding either belittling or pedantic? The way that I always approach it, it's easier for me to do it is I can I just be vulnerable, right? I just walk into and say, look, I know I'm a CFO. I know we just don't know this world. And all of them just start shaking their heads. Yes. Now, it's a little different if you're the broker walking in there and just assuming that they don't know. But I would just probably just start out and saying, this is what I do with all my prospects or all my clients. We go through this step-by-step process and we can speed it up as we go through it or we can slow it down. But I just want to make sure that we, we kind of build a foundation together. And so the first step is, let's just talk about how insurance works. And I would just go into it. I would just assume that they don't know, especially if they're in the midsize, I would say less than a thousand employees. I would just assume that they don't know. Okay. And you said also, you know, making sure that the person you're talking to is the right partner to help you build the right plan. We, we kind of know what the right plan is. We talked about that. It's the plan that best fits what the employer wants to accomplish. Correct. What criteria do you use to determine that you're working with the right partner or to disqualify someone and say, nope, this isn't the right person for me? So, it, you know, it's different for everybody. What I, what I see is I want to make sure that I am Personally, I'm not that person that's going to be this pioneer that's going to go out and do the thing that nobody else is doing and kind of be the guinea pig. Like, that's just not who I am. It's not the agency that I, I work with. But I also don't want to be doing the same thing that's been around for the last 20 years. Like, I want to try out some of the new things. And so one of the things I look at advisors is I want to hear them talk about these new innovative ideas. But then I also want to ask them about their current book of business and what percentage of that book of business is in different buckets and make sure that they're aligning with what I what I want to see. How important is it to you just as a business person for your advisor to work with you to create a long-term strategy rather than just taking what we call the least worst renewal every year? It's extremely important. I think that's one of the areas where a lot of CFOs miss the bucket in that they just look at it as a, a one year in one year out system. And they don't realize that. And to me, it's, it's got to be at least a five year plan. And within that five years, you're probably going to have at least one bad year and you're probably going to have two or three good years. And then the middle year will be just middle, but you've got to be able to have a plan that's going to mitigate the risk in that bad year and be able to reap the gains in those other years. And a lot of times when they get into this every year renewal cycle, all that they're worried about is the bad years and they never think about the good years and how they can reap those gains and they leave a lot of money on the table. And now, a word from our sponsor. Face it, the market is crazy. There's so much noise that it's getting harder and harder to stand out. Yet some advisors seem to be capturing more than their share of the best clients in your market. Here's what many of them know. To get the spotlight, you have to be in the spotlight. That means being visible, everywhere, in front of the prospects you want. But if you're thinking that's just too challenging to do one prospect at a time, well, you're right. With the right set of skills, prospects will be looking for you. You have to leverage your time. It's all you have to sell, right? So let us help you get in front of the large groups of prospects you want, with all of them listening to you for insight on how the market got so screwed up and how you can help be their guide out of the morass. Let them know that you have the three C's. 
confidence, competence, and a course of action that can help lead them. Our four-week online course, Pitching from the Stage, will help with all the three C's as well as improving your ERA, that's Engagement, Relationships, and Authority, with our unique impact method. For more information, click the Major League Mindset logo on the ShiftShapersOnline.com website and use the special offer button on the site for a limited time, first come, first serve special, just for Shift Shapers listeners. Play bigger. Play Major League. And now, back to our conversation. If an advisor is talking to you about, you kind of alluded to this before, about one of the quote-unquote newer versions of partially self-funded plans where you go out and find best of, of breed in all of the pieces that you attach to that plan, what are the things that might make you amenable to talking about that kind of a plan and engaging with it? And what are the things that might be off-putting? You mentioned not being the very first one in the swimming pool, but other than that, what are the things that attract you and the things that repel you from those kinds of discussions? I I would say using social proof. And what I mean by that is, and this is where I think a lot of brokers miss, miss the boat on it, is that if you come in as a sales rep, I have very little trust in you. I don't know who you are. You're pitching whatever it is. I don't know if it's going to work or not work. But coming in and showing me what you've done with other clients and showing me how they've taken on that path of, a you know, this other client had a similar type starting point where you are. This is what we've done over the last few years. And this is where they are now. And even if you could just have that client talk to me or you record a video of that client talking about their journey and you send that to me, that's extremely compelling because if I want what that other client wants and you were the one that got them there, then I'm a lot more interested to talk with you. Do you automatically or semi-automatically disqualify somebody who just comes in and starts talking rather than asking probing questions? And- oh, yes. Yes. I mean, if they just come and vomit over me and blah, 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 blah this is all wonderful things. You know, I'm deleting their email or their message or not wanting to talk. I, I Honestly, I just, I don't really want to accept invitations for somebody or even go to events just to hear a sales pitch. So what are the questions that you do like being asked? I mean, what's, what's, what's a great open question for an advisor who's looking to have a significant conversation with a C-level person? What's a great opening question for that conversation? I, I would say trying to get out of the employee benefits world and trying to figure out what the employer is trying to do. Like what are the struggles that they're going through on a macro level for their, their company? Are they, are they trying to scale? Are they trying to grow? Are they struggling with recruiting? Is it costs? Is it Trump's tariffs and different things affecting them? Those things, if you start talking at that level and get the business owners and C-suite talking about their business is a lot more advantageous. And then your role in that is to see how do you take employee benefits and the solutions that you have apply it to that company, help them solve their bigger problems. Like if you're just going to solve just employee benefits and just talk about employee benefits, people aren't going to be that interested in it. Now, do you have certain minimum expectations about what that conversation, that initial conversation will look like and where it will go? And then, and then what happens after that? I want to make sure that they, they know who I am and that they're willing to talk with me at a, at a higher level. And so I, I just assume that they, they're doing a little bit of research before I like, just don't come ask me, like, what are my problems? Like, I'm just not going to open up with you and tell you, like, these are the things I'm struggling with right now. But getting to know my industry, reading publications about my industry, following me on LinkedIn. It's one of the things, one of my pet peeves is 
I'm on LinkedIn a lot and I'm talking a lot. And if you don't take 15 seconds just to look at my activity and my post to see what I'm talking about, and then you just come in and start talking about something, you just didn't do your research on me. So do a little bit of research about that company, that industry, that person, and then ask some questions about either their post or their industry to get them talking about it, And then they'll open up. When you talk about social proof, how important is it that the advisor is bringing you in solutions that they've worked with with folks who are in your industry versus in the general size range and revenue range of your company? I would say, I mean, it'd definitely be better if they're within my industry, but because employee benefits crosses every industry, I don't think it's a deal breaker if you don't have anybody within healthcare or construction or hotel. But if you have somebody that's a similar size, I think it's just as valuable. As an advisor is starting to go through the process of a suspect to a prospect to a qualified prospect, et cetera, what's the best way to get in your door when you talk to your peers and, and you yourself? Is it a referral? Is it is it email? Is it reputation? What what opens that door to have that conversation? Because I imagine that y'all get hit a zillion times or it feels like a zillion times a day. Back doors are always the best way. And so if you're going to email me directly, I'm not going to respond. If you're going to spam me through social media, I'm not going to respond. If you send connection requests to me and then you just follow my content and make comments on my content, I will not push you away. Then I'll start you know, listening to what you're doing. Referrals, the social proof to me is the a thing that I've never really seen done. I've never had a benefit advisor just send me a video of one of their clients talking about their story and what they did. I would, I would watch that hundred percent of the time of what they did. And as long, especially if it's not the advisor talking, but it's the client talking and somebody that I could call and, and talk to that would get me looking at them. Stuff that's stuff that's more direct, not just simply posting stuff on their own social media sites. No, no. No, especially in social media because the algorithms work. So I will only see things that I'm liking and following. And so if I'm not really connected with you and you're posting stuff, I may not even see it on your own social media site. That's interesting. Just We didn't touch on this too much in the beginning, but just to give kind of a frame of reference, a little bit about your firm in terms of just the size and kind of what you guys do. And so people get a framework of where your head's coming from. So I, I've been a CFO of a healthcare company that has 500 employees here in Arizona. So I'm the... CFO slash CHRO of that company. And then I have a consulting company on the side that's just me and a few other people that are, they're helping me that's kind of taking this message out to help other people. And you're either giving serious thought to or about to start a podcast. I am, yes. And, and a lot of it has to do with the social proof of there's, I want to hear other employers talking about it and what are they doing and be able to share that with them. I was doing, it kind of sparked when I was doing an event with 70 HR professionals and I just had them raise their hand. Like and everybody that took a 5% increase or, or more raised their hand and most of their hands went up. How many of you guys took a zero to 3% increase last year? And there was, you know, five or six people raised their hands. And like, how many of your, your benefits went down in cost last year? And there was two people that raised their hand. And I told everybody within that room, I said, if you did nothing more than just go talk to those people and just share business cards and do it, you would have, you would, be so much more prepared going into the next year. And so what I want to do is go out and interview those people, talk to them. What did they learn? What is it they're doing? So that other people can replicate what they're doing. I think, you know, an interesting question to all of those iterations is, does anybody in the audience have any idea why those things actually happened? No, I I would say most of them don't. And most of them assume probably the wrong things that, 
you know, everybody out the gate will say, well, the, their claims, their premiums went down, so they must probably have a different demographic. I have a sicker population than what they have. Maybe, or maybe not. You know, maybe it's just set up in a different way that they're able to reap the benefits of those, those low claim years. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a thousand different reasons, but I think, you know, your notion of helping people kind of peek behind that and start asking those questions is really laudatory. And once the podcast gets up and launched, we'd, we'd love to have you back. We've got a, a minute or two left. Where, where do you see the future? How does this all play out? I, I think that employers are getting more and more involved in this, this area. And I think that brokers and advisors really need to up their game on the analytical side of things. Like it's not so much more just a relationship, go golfing with somebody and get the business and that business is going to stay for 20 years. You're going to have to learn what drives those costs, be able to talk with a CFO as well and be able to help them develop their plan and monitor their plan and, and change it over time. And I, it seems to me, and again, I'm newer to this industry, but there's, it seems like we're getting bombarded with different solutions and different things coming in. And so I expect that broker to be on top of these things, that they're listening to podcasts like this one, that they're hearing about things that are going on in the country and they're bringing them to me so I can apply them in my business. Steve Watson, founder of Summit Path Group. Steve, thanks so much for your insight and for sharing it with the Ship Shapers audience today. You're very welcome. The Ship Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. 